0: Hey family, uh, some of you this morning or right now you're thinking to yourself, "Man, I want to praise God," but in this moment and what's weighing on us as a faith family, you think, "How do we, how do we do this?" And I want to help you. For those of you that don't know, uh, Friday night, Colby and Haley Amos and their two little girls, nine-year-old and seven-year-old, were traveling back home, and they got in a terrible car accident, and nine-year-old Paisley didn't make it, and so it's just been... You can imagine. It's just turned us upside down. But here's what we have to do. We have to realize that when we're in Christ, things are different. We're not like everything in the world in which we live in. And so when when we find ourselves in the, the midst of confusion and 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 trial and tragedy and heartbreak what I always do is I think back as I look forward because I know this isn't the end of the story because I know the author of the story has promised to finish it but I also know the character of the one writing the story and I know that he's been doing things in our life fully aware of what's Coming in the future. And so I immediately began to think, God, what have you been doing in our life? And you know what? As a faith family, we've been reading through Genesis together. And we've been following this narrative of of creation and redemption as we move into the the story of the brokenness of Adam and Eve and their descendants and and the dawn of, of sin and pain and hurt. And we move into the story of, of Abraham, and we, these high moments of God calling him and him responding in faithfulness, followed by moments of pain and suffering and bewilderment where he does the unthinkable and turns his back on God. And, and over and over through the story, here's what you see that there's always reason to worship. That through it all, in, in Abraham's bewilderness, in, in his, his inability to, to see how God was gonna move, how could the promise of God that he'd be the father of a, a mighty nation of people come true when he had no heir? And he began to doubt God and make bad decisions. But God said, Go get some animals build an altar and worship. See, because our reality is is that at the same time, maybe our circumstances are falling apart and everything looks terrible, but God's still on the throne and, and, and we have to live in this thing where we hurt and we break and we're confused and we don't understand and we, we weep and we we even doubt. But God's still working. And so there's always... There's always praise. We don't just, we, we always have a hallelujah. Hallelujah is not praise God, everything's going good. Hallelujah is praise God, God is good. So, see, God knew a million billion things about today. He knew everything I've said he knew that we'd come into this place and many of us would be very heavy but he also knew that three months ago three months ago I said this this one day I I sat back and I thought, you know God we've been grinding away at this thing and it's time to take the next step. And so here's what I want you to pray about. I want you to be aware of where we are and what we are asking God for going forward. First of all, we need a piece of land. In order to do what God's called us to do, we're completely out of space the build the place we're in now we're renting we need a piece of property. We need at least five acres, maybe 10, maybe more, but enough space to where uh, not only we can put a facility that can house 20 or 30 men, but where they have room to grow their own food and uh, do other things. We, we have dreams about a women's campus. We have dreams about being able to minister to couples and things of that nature, but the immediate need right now is we need a piece of property. So I want you to pray about that. I want you to pray about uh, who might it be that helps us acquire this piece of property and how you might be a part of that process. See, our tendency when something terrible happens is to think, God, haven't we been faithful? Haven't we been faithful as a fellowship? We've been begging you to help us as we as we." serve the community through the joseph home we've been praying for you to do this and then you let this terrible thing happen and and yet the reality of it is is that as we suffer in loss god's still at work here's the deed to that piece of property that was given to us free and clear right here it's right here know what God didn't give us what we asked for it's exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think instead of a piece of property he gave us a piece of property that already has the buildings on it to house the people we want to house so here's what I want you to see so don't fall into the trap see I'm not saying hey Look at what God did. Now we can praise him today. No, I'm trying to get us all to understand that God is God no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're feeling, no matter what it seems like. And when you don't have anything else, here's what you've always got. You've always got reason to praise him. So let's do that praise him in our confusion and in our pain and in our gratitude and in our thankfulness in our worship because he's always always worthy always worthy amen, amen. Okay, how about we grab our Bibles? And we're going to go not to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, but we need to think back as we look forward when we find ourselves in an unexpected place. And we know that we serve a God who will prepare us, who is working in the details of our lives. At least I hope we do. So I want us to look at a passage of scripture that God has been speaking into our hearts over this past several weeks as we've studied together in Genesis through D groups. Okay, let's pray. Father, this morning we've come here to worship you, to exalt you. And you alone, thank you for being the God of all truth. Thank you for giving us your word to comfort us, to encourage us, to inspire us. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to undeserving people words that are life. We are grateful this morning for this opportunity that you've given us. We are grateful this morning that you've placed us in family. We are grateful this morning that although there are so many things about you that are mysterious, not everything about you is mysterious because you have shown yourself through your word the things which we might comprehend. So we want to see those things today. We pray for eyes to see and ears to hear. Holy Spirit, come do the work that only you can do. We will give you and you alone the credit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So don't worry. uh, uh, We'll we'll have a time together. We just uh, haven't had time to uh, think about it, but... In the coming weeks, we'll uh, have a special time together where we'll all go out to the uh, new Joseph Home property and we'll have a celebration service and a prayer time of consecration and uh, praying. and It'll be wonderful. But if you want to see it, if you want to drive by and look at it, you can go on East Wortham and what used to be Stable Baptist Church and then it became, help me, Matt, Grace Point Church, So I think that's what the sign says now. So at uh, the last day of last year, they closed the doors and disbanded as a fellowship. And uh, that property and the buildings uh, reverted to the Gulf Coast Baptist Association. And the Baptist Association gave it to Michael Memorial for free. We are grateful. We are grateful. Nobody is grateful as some people in this area over here. No more living like sardines in a can. Amen. So, back in Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. Abraham's old. He has no reason or purpose to be in a conversation with God, much less to be hearing a a blessing and a a prophetic encouragement about the way that God is going to use him, and yet here's God saying this to him, and he's old, and his wife Sarah, they have no children, there's no... uh, sense in their understanding of how this might become true and uh but yet they're obedient they respond in obedience they pack up all their stuff and they go where god tells them to go but it doesn't take long before what they can see with their human eyes begins to wear them down and and as the child doesn't come and as time wears on they begin to doubt they begin to wonder they begin to struggle and even in just the previous chapter, 15, God has to encourage him yet again. And, and, and Abraham responds in worship. And again, time passes, and it begins to wear them down. And so they get to the place where they start thinking that maybe God's not going to come through. Maybe God's not going to deliver Maybe he's not going to do the things that he promised he was going to do. Maybe we misunderstood him. Maybe the promise is true, but it's for somebody else. All things that we begin to say to ourselves. Let's look at Genesis 16, verse 1. Now Sarai and Abram's wife had borne him no children... She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. So let's think this through for a second. What what why are we being introduced to this new person? Hagar doesn't have anything to do with the story thus far. But let's just stop and go, okay, here's something. Let's think about this for a second. Here's what we know about this new character in the story. She's a woman, she's an Egyptian or a foreigner at this time, they're in Canaan, so they're in Israel. She's a woman, she's a foreigner, and she's a slave. What is she? Woman, foreigner, slave. She's an outsider. She's vulnerable. She's lonely. She's isolated. Verse 2, And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me. He's prevented me, she says, From bearing children. So go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived and when she saw that she had conceived she looked with contempt upon her mistress now what happens when we begin to take matters into our own hands or when we begin to doubt the faithfulness of God in the midst of what we can see or what we're experiencing and Notice that she says that the Lord prevented me from bearing children in verse 2. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the promises of God into my own hands. I'm going to subject the promises of God to the understanding of man. There's nothing more dangerous than taking the promises of God into our own hands. Nothing. What God promises God will do. But what God promises God will do in His own time. They're His promises. They're not our promises. These are very important guiding principles that that will help us live faithful in this world. If you have your listening guide, this is what we need to remember this morning. That the kingdom is not achieved, it's received. See, notice... Notice what Sarah says. She says, God is preventing me. Me. As if what's happened is, through the course of time, as doubt and discouragement set in, we begin to become more and more inwardly focused and more and more uh, humanly uh, uh, Focused and more and more dependent on ourselves. And what happens is we turn the kingdom into something that's achieved rather than something that's received. We receive the promises of God. We don't achieve them. We don't accomplish them. That's not how that works. God's kingdom is something that's received. And every time we believe that we can bring about things of God in our own way, it always requires sinfulness always we have to sin in order to accomplish this but what happens is we start to convince ourselves that maybe we're we're so what we're doing is we're going about the right thing in the wrong way and surely God would understand verse 5 and sarah said to abram may the wrong done to me be on you. Now at this moment, aren't all the husbands in the room going like, "What?" Hold up. This was your plan. And God whispers that you went along with Adam. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? I gave my servant to your embrace, and when you saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. So now the ultimatum. So Abram's got a, you know, he's in husband defense mode. So he says, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Again, just a side note, I feel like we have to just stop and say it's always a disaster when the person God puts in authority is passive. Always. It doesn't mean that the husband should make every decision and should be in control of everything. It doesn't mean anything near that. No. Here's what it means. He's responsible and he needs to take responsibility. That's what it means. And he diverts and says, She's in your power. Do do with her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her or abused her. And she fled from her. So Hagar fled from her. So Hagar, an Egyptian woman living in Israel has now fled all that she knows she's alone and she's pregnant you got it a female foreigner pregnant alone it doesn't get much worse than this can you get more vulnerable than this is there is there a situation that could create a greater propensity for hopelessness than this situation She has no means to take care of herself. She has no ability to earn a living or get a job or even get food for herself. She has nowhere to turn and no one to turn to. She's a long, long way from from anything that could be construed as good news. See, Sarah dealt harshly with her and she... She, Hagar, fled away. So she made the decision, you know what? As bad as that is, out there, as terrible as it would be to be on my own, a foreigner and pregnant and a female, defenseless and vulnerable, it's better than being here. I would rather be by myself in the worst possible situation than be here. That gives you an indication of how bad it was there. Of what she was facing and the, the condemnation and the abuse that she was feeling. And so in this moment where this person created in the image of God who has is, who is been thrust into this story in so many ways so many things have happened that are outside of her control. And now here she is. So she wanders. Now we we don't know how long she wandered out there exactly because the Bible doesn't tell us, but the Bible does tell us how far she wandered. So that gives us an indication of maybe how long it might have been. She didn't wander for just a day or... To, she wandered 210 miles alone by herself. I don't know how many nights she spent in the dark, afraid, hiding, cold, but it was a bunch to go 210 miles. and to verse 7 and the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water no doubt thirsty cold exhausted in the wilderness or the desert the spring on the way to shore see we know where shore is you can you can pull up a map and you can look And you can see it's a little more than 200 miles from where she began. And here's here's the first thing we see. The first thing is this, that God comes to us in the wilderness. Now, He didn't come immediately. He didn't come the first day or the second day or the third day. But He came 210 miles in. He shows up. And there she is in the wilderness. On the road, on the road to shore. You ever been in the wilderness? You ever been in a situation and a moment in your life where something happens and your life is turned upside down? Yeah. And see, here's the thing: when you're, when you're, when you're in this world, constrained to the time and space in which we exist in, we never know what's around the next corner. And whether we fear it or whether we disregard it or we try to ignore it or however you approach all the unknown things, they're still unknown to you. You don't know when you load your family in a car and you start driving down the road what lies ahead. You don't know. And people who don't know what we know might think, well, the solution to that is is don't go anywhere. Some people do that. Don't do anything. If I don't take any risks. Or if I don't do anything, then nothing will happen to me. And how foolish is that? Again, who's in control of that narrative? Yeah. So the the solution to not knowing what's ahead is, for one thing, just to know This. If the worst thing you can imagine is ahead for you, God will come to you in the wilderness. Yeah. He'll come to you in the wilderness. So there we are. We, we, you know, there's been things done. There's been things said that things have now gotten hard. Everything's changed. We're we're trying to sort out where she's alone. She's on the run. She's in the desert. No one understands what she feels like. That's the wilderness moments. You can be surrounded by people, but in the wilderness, there is this sense that you're just the only. No one understands what you're feeling and what you're facing. And God comes to her in the wilderness, and here's what I want you to see. Where should God be right now? Hmm? Come on, church people, where do you think God should be? Don't we think God should be with Abram and Sarah? Why isn't God with his people? Instead, he's with this foreigner. See, we think that God should be with the people who deserve to have God with them, don't we? Is that true? Do we ever deserve to have God with us? And if we feel that God's not with us, a lot of times what we do is let the voice in our head convince us that the reason why is because we don't deserve to have God with us. When the truth is we never have. And God's presence is never predicated on our deservedness. Hagar has nothing to offer God. The message for me and you this morning here is to just understand that no matter what we've done, no matter what others have done to you, No matter how far you veered off the course, God comes to us in the wilderness. You see, think about about what just preceded these events in Hagar's life. Just back up one or two days prior to chapter 16. You know what Hagar's trying to do? Hagar's just trying to survive. Hagar's just going one day to the next day, just trying to. She wakes up every morning. She just tries to do what's asked of her, keep her head down, say as little as possible, get her job done, go home, lay her head down, get some sleep, wake up the next morning and start again. That's all she's trying to do. She's just in the rhythm of just, just mundane life. She's not trying to rule the world. She doesn't have some kind of right, grand ideas about trying to overtake this or conquer this or be this or do this. Or She's just trying to, she's just living. That's all she's doing is living. And the next thing you know, she's in the middle of nowhere, by herself, pregnant. And why? why? Because of things that other people did. These weren't choices she made. She didn't go to Sarah and say, Hey, I have an idea, I have a plan. She was just washing the clothes one day, minding her own business. And her boss comes to her and says, Hey, here's what I need you to do. She was just driving down the road, having a conversation with her kids and a car just flies out of nowhere. See what we got to understand this morning is that life this life is a wilderness. This this is our problem. We struggle so bad to understand this truth. We want so bad for this life not to be a wilderness. We try so hard to create and to mold this life. If we can work hard enough and earn enough and buy enough and get enough and secure enough and save enough and plan enough and strategize enough that somehow we can take the edge off of life in this world. Listen, this is not heaven, it, will, it was never meant to be heaven. Because it's been tainted by sin. And if it's been tainted by sin then it's broken. And everyone who lives in it is broken. And so you can you can try all you want to. But broken things happen in a broken world. It's never not going to be broken until it's gone. Until God decides. And he burns it up and he makes it back new but until then it's a wilderness and and we need to learn how to live in a wilderness we need to learn what to do and what not to do in a wilderness we need to learn how to go about our lives and how to live faithfully in a wilderness we need to understand this principle where is she i'm looking at this text and i'm thinking to myself she's why is the bible telling me she's she's at this well in sure, So I look at a map and I go, here's, here's Canaan, here's Shure. It's 200 miles. She's went 200 miles, but that doesn't answer the question. And I'm thinking, well, where is she going? Is she just wandering aimlessly or is she going somewhere? And so then I keep looking at the map and I realize that here's Canaan, here's Shore, and she's heading somewhere. And you know where she's heading? Egypt she's going home and a lot of us in the room go yeah right that's what we do when we find ourselves in the wilderness we go home no you don't no that's what we do but that's not what is home what why is she going home because I know in your mind you're thinking she's going home because she has a mommy there and a daddy there love her. She's probably got some, some brothers and some sisters and they live in a house with a white picket fence and a dog named Spot and everything's great. Listen to me, she's a slave in a foreign land. How do you think she became a slave in a foreign land? Somebody gave her up and abandoned her and sold her off. The people home don't want her. What she's doing is she's following the breadcrumbs of brokenness back to the place of pain, which is exactly what the flesh tells us to do. We're going along. We've got pain over here. We're living over here. And we find ourselves in the wilderness, and we feel drawn right back to what we know. We know it's broken. We know it hurts. We know it won't fix what we want. We know it's, it's bad for us, but we feel drawn to go back to what we know. Not because it's good, because it's familiar. Isn't that our story? That's what we got to be careful of. Listen, when you find yourself in the wilderness, God's will for you in that moment is not to go back to your brokenness. That's not His will. That's the will of our flesh. That's why... For some of us, it's just this broken record of you getting further away from your brokenness, and then something happened, and you keep going back, and you get away, and you keep going back, and you get away, and you keep going back. It's because you don't understand wilderness. She's going back to Egypt. Who named her Hagar? Her name is Hagar. That's her given name. What does Hagar mean? Hagar means stranger. Every time someone calls her name, she's reminded. That she was born into trouble she didn't create. It's a wilderness. Stop trying to establish heaven in the wilderness. You know what's true about the wilderness? People fail, but God never fails. God. Comes to us in the wilderness. That's how you get up every day. And you walk forward in faith. It's not trying to stay out of the wilderness. You're already in it. But fear not. God comes to us in the wilderness. Number two. Not only does he come to us in the wilderness. But he hears us. He hears us. And he's been hearing us. Look at verse 8. So the angel says, Hagar, servant of Sarai. Notice, he knows her name and knows who she is and where she's from. And then he goes, where did you come from and where are you going? In other words, clue right off the bat. I already know, but I'm trying to get you to acknowledge. I'm trying to get you to know. And so she answers, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah she doesn't say I'm a foreigner she doesn't say I'm pregnant she doesn't say all the things she could say about the problems that she's having she doesn't say I'm homeless I don't have any food I don't no her biggest problem is that she's running from this person who's abusing her The angel of the Lord said to her, well, you should keep running and you should go back to that white picket fence. You know what? I'm just going to go back. It's going to be different this time. No, the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. Don't listen to your flesh. God says, do the opposite of what you would normally do. Do the opposite of what your flesh wants to do. No. The angel of the Lord also said there, verse 10, I will surely multiply your offspring so that you cannot, they cannot be numbered for the multitude. See, what God says is, He says, Listen, I hear you. Go back to where you were. Go back to where I had you. And He says, I'm going to be your husband. I'm going to take care of things. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you're pregnant. And you shall bear a son. Now, I don't know how pregnant she is. I don't know. I'm just simply saying that he's not looking at her and her belly's out to here and he's going, oh, behold, you're pregnant. Because anybody can do that. But he's saying, oh, you're going to have a son. See, he, 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 he knows. You're, you're going to have a son. And you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. Ishmael, you're pregnant, you're going to have a son. I know you're in the wilderness and you think all hope is lost and everything's going to be a disaster and nothing could go good and you just want to die alone, but uh uh-uh. No, you're pregnant, you're going to have a son, and you're going to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. You're going to name your son God hears. That's what you're going to do. Oh well. Great. So what do we do now? What is the typical response of the American Christian in this moment? No, no, you're pregnant. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him God hears. Praise the Lord. All my problems are solved. Everything is great. There's no I don't have any problems see we think if God fixes one problem we want we want God to we want to believe that now God's fixing all the problems that's who we want God to be we try so hard to make the wilderness heaven and what does God say? oh I can hear you, I hear you, I got you you're pregnant you're going to have a son you're going to name him God hears but I'm not it's not going to be smooth and easy. Look. He's going to be a wild donkey of a man. Got some of them in here. And you know the other word for donkey. And it's in the Bible. His hand's going to be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. And he shall. Dwell over and against his kinsmen. So he's going to battle. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be a simple, easy path. No, it's going to be hard. There's going to be challenges ahead. But what? But God comes to us in the wilderness and he hears. Isn't that enough? Isn't that what God's trying to say here? Yes. Yes. It's not just that. God sees us. He sees us. So her response to the fact that God met her in the wilderness and the fact that he knows all the details of her life and he hears her. Look at verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. You are a God of seeing. See, she realizes based on this interaction that God hasn't been distance, distant from her situation like she thought, like she expected. What? Come on, why is it when we're in the wilderness... We want to go, God, where are you? Because we think when we're in the wilderness that God can't be there because we shouldn't be in the wilderness. You you see? You see how how we twist things around? You, You read the first 15 chapters of the Bible... And you hear all these things about God the Creator and God the Redeemer and all these things that God's going to do. And you, you've read 15 chapters of the Bible and there's not one. God's not named. Who is God? There's no name for God. God hasn't named himself. No one's named God. God won't name himself until Exodus 3 when he tells Moses, I am who I am. The first name of God that appears in Scripture is from a, a slave immigrant pregnant, unmarried woman in the wilderness who says, you know who you are? You're El Roy, the God who sees. She said, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. Huh. Looks after me. I don't, what do you mean? Well, I mean, looks after me. You, you let me be born into a family where I wasn't wanted and, and sold into slavery. And then, and then work for these people who claim to be God's people. But look what they did to me. And, and all I tried to do was just survive and do the right thing. And all these things keep happening and happening and happening. That just doesn't seem like looking after me. But she sees it. She sees it. She understands that the fact that God has met her and knows everything about her and is interacting with her, we can learn a lot from Hagar. Our seeing has no bearing on God's doing. Can I just say this for the billionth time? I'm not exactly sure what is the singular one thing that I have said the most time over and over from this platform over the decades that I've been here. But it may be this. That what God is up to in your life is not predicated on your ability to see it. We're so obsessed with the details. We lay around and whine and moan and don't move and lock up and miss the blessing of God because we're afraid to go, because we don't know where what's gonna happen down the road. We just we talk about faith and we sing about faith and we read about faith, but we don't practice faith. It takes faith to follow God. You're not going to know where you're going. But that has nothing to do with what God is doing. It takes faith. And what has God said? What we don't want to hear, but it's the truth. He said, yeah, you go. Is it going to be easy? No, you got a wild donkey growing in there. I mean, I don't know how more straightforward you got to be. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I know you. I hear you. I see you. I got you. You're pregnant. It's going to be a boy. God hears. Wild donkey. Not heaven. Wilderness. He looks after me. That, that means he's, he's watching me. He's listening to me. Doesn't mean he's going to make everything easy. But it means we can trust him. How, how, do, how do we know? How, how do we know we can trust him? How do we know his character? How do we know? Because he came to me in the wilderness. And what does it mean that He came to me in the world? He came to me when I didn't do anything to deserve it. I didn't have anything to offer Him. He didn't have anything to gain from me. He didn't. There was no reason, but He did it. What does that tell you? It tells you His character. He tells you what kind of God He is. That you can literally be in the moment of your world falling apart, and you have to remember, wait a second, who is God? And He'll come to me in the wilderness. See, the last thing she wants to be right now is seen. That's why she's alone in the wilderness. She doesn't want to be seen. She wants to hide. She wants to die. She wants to go away. That's why she fled. If she wanted to be seen, she would have stayed where she was. See, we we, we think, well, I don't want people to, to see me. I don't want people to, to see my... My, my pain or my brokenness. God says, oh I see that you're broken. I see that you're wounded. I see that you're ashamed. God says, I see all the things that you want to be invisible. But I see them all. And it feels like the world's crushing down around us. And maybe the world is crushing down around us. I mean, if you're Colby and Haley right now, what if what if you're what if you're little seven-year-old posy is crushing down around us? God really hear? Does God really see? Does God, will God visit me in the wilderness? Yeah. He hears. He sees. I'm driving in the rain Friday night down I-10 trying to beat the helicopter to UMC in New Orleans and My mind's racing a thousand miles a minute. And I'm just thinking about so many things and I'm trying to just focus on. Lord, we're in the wilderness. I know you see. We know you hear. I know what you've said to us. I know what you've said to me in Genesis. I know what I've seen of you. I need a reminder. I pull up to the hospital. I'm walking in the hospital. I can hear the... So I know that I'm in time. And I want to get to Colby before anybody else does. Because if he's going to hear the worst news he could ever hear I want him to hear it from me I don't want to tell him but I don't want anybody else to tell him I want him to hear it from somebody who he knows loves him and who he knows is broken with him. and so I get in that room and we have this conversation And as he's laying there all broken up and just a mess. He says, Pastor, just before that car pulled out in front of us, we were on our way home. And little Paisley said, how can a person know God? And so we started talking about how to know God and who God is. And as they've been reading the Bible together and she's been learning all these things in church and, and going home and talking about them and. So they had this conversation. Haley even shared her testimony about knowing God as they're driving down the road. And they explained everything to her. And they said, honey, listen, God loves you. And he sent his son to die for you, to to save you, to redeem you. He has a home for you and a place for you and a plan for you. And he knows that you're trying to figure all this out. And Colby said, do you understand that if we got in a car accident right now and you died, you would be with him in hell. Now, does that say to you that Colby knew? No. God knew. The God who hears and the God who sees. Why was that the last conversation that they had? It's not for Paisley. Because let let me just newsflash, she's not in need of anything right now. It's not for her. It's the God who hears and the God who sees. The God who doesn't say, I'm going to make this like heaven. No. He says, I'm going to make heaven available for people who live in this. And he's going to say, I'm listening, and I'm hearing, and I'm seeing, and I know, and I'm in the details. So that if, when you find yourself in the wilderness, if you just think back as you're looking forward, don't freeze where you are. Keep moving in faith, but think back. What has God been showing me? What has he been teaching me? How has he been reminding me that he loves me and that he's in the details? It's this Hagar moment. He sees, he hears. Jesus is working in the story. He's working in the story. It's so easy for us to think, God, you failed here. What? What? God failed? Did God fail? Did God fail because a little girl died? unexpectedly and tragically in a car accident did God fail no 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 God didn't fail God died so she never will see we get hung up on all the things that she'll never do but I got something to tell you ladies and gentlemen you know what the list of things is that she'll never do It's not graduate high school or go to the prom or get married. or, No, no, the real list of things she'll never do is she'll never cry again. She'll never fear again. She'll never worry again. She'll never be afraid again. She'll never frown again. She'll never be bored again. She'll never want for anything again. She will never, ever, ever for all of eternity ever need a thing. She won. God won. He wins. He didn't lose. He won. He died. So that we could persevere through death. This is the wilderness. But we're exiles in it. But guess what? We're not like Hagar. Because we're not alone. God puts us in the wilderness in a family. And he sees and he hears. And he visits us in the wilderness.